Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Budget Snedder podcast. I'm your host as always, Phil Brown, joined with my excellent regular co-host and therapist, James Rhodes, of course, from the United Muppeteers. <laughs> uh, this time last week we were in giddy mood and uh, we are back to reality as we should expect with Manchester United. Um, you know, it's funny, mate, um, 1-0 is not a disastrous result, but the, the result is... Um, you know, an imposter in this uh, scenario, mm-hmm. as Zavi once said, because it was the most one-sided one now. But for the reasons why you needed lost, we will cover on this podcast. But before we do yeah. that, how was your weekend? It was decent. Uh, aside from that, it was actually pretty decent. Otherwise, had a good, good family time and all of that. And yours? Uh, it was not, not, it wasn't a bad weekend. It was nice. Um, until, uh, of course, United or, uh, uh, of course, um, <laughs> when I was watching United, it was boxing on the other TV, and thankfully that was a positive distraction for the most part. Um, oh, yeah. Watching United, um, so much to talk about today, of course, the performance itself, the fallout and performance, some of the stuff which I'm sure you spoke to our individual this morning, or any of us who yep. gave yep. some yep. interesting yep. updates on what's the latest there. Um, encouraging signs at the very least. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about what his views are on Ten Hag or their views are on Ten Hag, we should say. Um, we'll obviously look at Ten Hag um, for an objectively and we'll look at what we saw at the weekend. And, um, you know, to be honest, it doesn't matter where you sit on this debate. You have a good argument. It doesn't matter yeah. whether you say sack Ten Hag today, you would have a decent argument. It doesn't matter what you say you shouldn't. You would have a decent argument. Doesn't matter because there's so many things that are plausible at this point that uh, it's very difficult to single anything out and say it's definitely because of this, because of the absolute chaos of the football club. First of all, we'll talk about the performance at the weekend against Newcastle. United haven't scored a goal against Newcastle in our last four league games. Um, they were tranced in the Carabao Cup three 0 and. You know, you would expect okay, three 0 against Everton. There's a confidence building result. They go out against Galatasaray and play, in my opinion, astonishingly tactically naive. Um, <clears throat> and this is where I think Ten Hag does deserve some criticism. Goes out against Newcastle, and what we saw against Newcastle was what we saw against Spurs in the six 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 one game against Besiktas here away against Leipzig away against. Liverpool away against City away, you know, we, 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 Liverpool at home, you know, City at home, and it's just it, it's a, it's a defining trait to this football club over the last ten years. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, as you said in the in the beginning on this, the thing that's important I think to take in mind is that we're not talking in about absolute truths when we talk about mm-hmm. the. Uh, you know, the opinions and perspectives on everything that has happened, on the performances, on Ten Hag, on the players, all of it. None of these are objective truths. They're just perspectives. And unfortunately, I think there's so much wrong that you can't solve it easily by saying, oh, it's just the one thing. It's just this. If only this was fixed, then, you know, this would, everything would be better. Um, It's not. the Newcastle game was, I think, when you look at it as a whole, when I take it and, and try to box it up and say what was wrong, it was everything. Uh, it was absolutely everything. The effort levels were, of course, astonishing. 
which I'm sure we'll talk about, but they were, they were terrible. Um, just to touch on that first, because I don't want to give anybody to get the perspective that this is something that should be brushed off or um, ignored. I don't care what your thoughts are on the manager. I have my own thoughts on the manager, on tactics, on perspectives. This is one of the problems at United that I do want to talk about later. You don't play for the manager. You shouldn't play for the manager. That's not who you're playing for. You have your teammates that you should play for at the very least. Um, you can play for your teammates. You can play for the fans. You can play for the club. You can play for the badge. You can play for your own pride and self-respect. Um, these are all things that I think matter. And I think things that are the markers of professionals in any field, in any where, is that you don't, uh, you don't not play simply because you disagree with or have an issue with or anything like that. Um, that being said, I think it was probably the worst tactical game I've ever seen from Eric Ten Hag at United in terms of the setup, um, the pass map that it showed. You know, mm -hmm. forget the box midfield and the things like that. You're just talking about a box um, <laughs> where you had essentially four players deep and six players all the way up the pitch um, with uh, with everything. Um, every time they pass it back to the goalkeeper, he'd send it long and uh, you'd end up running the other way off of that. You played a, a left-footed left back at center back in order to play a right-footed left back at left back. Uh, and then you didn't play out the back anyway and instead just went long. There was nothing that made sense in this game from a tactical perspective, from an effort perspective, from a personnel perspective. None of it was working um, and none of it was successful. I think every player on the pitch was frustrated and at times visibly so. Um, the changes in terms of the substitutions made no difference to the team. Um, nothing worked. I don't know what else to say about it. It was atrocious. It was um, a complete and utter outclassing from top to bottom that I think is representative of, you know, a club that whatever the is behind it, Newcastle has itself sorted out in terms of what it's doing, where it's going, where it wants to be as a club, and that filters all the way down to every single player on the pitch compared to United, which is wholly representative of the absolute confusion, lack of leadership that uh, pervades everywhere and everything. And so uh, that's how I see it in a nutshell, the, the game that we watched. The part that I, I'm confused about tactically with Ten Hag is yeah. – when we looked at the Mason Mount balance problem midfield at the start of the mm -hmm. season, it was yeah. mainly obvious that he was playing too high and yet we're getting exposed in midfield. So Scott yeah. McCominay is essentially playing that role now. Right? He's essentially playing the role that was defined earlier in the season that in a way you need to can't play because mm -hmm. of the possession, which they often do on a counter-attack, they're far too exposed. Mm -hmm. So... Scott McTominay is a per man's Mason Mount. He scores goals, but you would imagine you, you would have to argue that Mason Mount's technically better in, in possession. So that problem still hasn't been fixed. Yep. Away to Galatasaray, you're three one up. Um, why are you trying to score a fourth goal? How can you? Two, not, two, two, yeah, yeah. Both perspectives. Yeah. yeah, I mean the free kick. Don't get me wrong. Onana's to blame for two, if not three, of the goals going in. Right, but the passage of play that led up to those. Could have been avoided, right? Yep. I mean, you simply cannot have a situation where the ball is given away on the edge of your box, the edge of the opposition's box, and the first time someone puts a tackle in, 
is five yards outside of your box. And yep. the guy that puts that tackle in is the guy that was ahead of the ball to receive it. Where, where's the rest of your midfield? I mean, it's such an obvious problem. Um, and, you know, Ten Hag at Holland always wanted to play with just one number six holding midfielder. And at United, he's not going to with that. And this is odd to me because... It's he clearly knows more about football than you, me, or, or, or anyone. Right? He understands football, and I just don't understand how this is such an obvious problem. The performance at the weekend against Newcastle reminded me of a performance uh, when Ranić was there, when you had Drew Monich and Cavani scored, where they were absolutely awful, right? Against a really poor Newcastle team, to be fair. Um. United say that Maguire won the Guzin counts would have stolen a point. Same thing happened, right? And this is where I kind of give Ten Hag a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. No one is doing Ten Hag's job better for him and exculpating him from this than the players. When you go out and you don't do the basics, then it's very easy to blame the players and not Ten Hag. Yeah. To me, if you're a professional, if, you, if I'm paying in to watch a professional event, there are certain things I think you should be guaranteed. You should be guaranteed that the performer shows up professional with with, with, with an intent to win, you know, that, that brings the intangibles, that has been prepared properly, that is mentally prepared, that is going to give it 100%, that is trying to win, that is trying to give the illusion that there's actually a competition taking place here, that... Um, before an athlete goes into an arena and accepts defeat, there are a number of layers um, that will prevent that from happening. If you don't like the manager, so what? How many Ballon mm -hmm. winners have played for multiple managers and are still yeah. winning Ballon doors? Players that are exceptional for their country, also for their club, they don't care who they play for because they set their own standards. And there's certain things as a professional that's your job to bring. Before you talk about a manager, your job is to show up to work every day 100% mentally, physically. Even, okay, we understand human beings have, have an ebb and flow, so you're not always perfect, but the intangibles. And when I look back, James, at every single United manager that has been sacked since Ferguson, I looked at their last five games, and I was reading the match reports from the last five games before each manager was sacked, identical. Mm-hmm. Brendan Rodgers, when United played Leicester at the FA Cup 4-2, said he was surprised at how easy it was to play through United's lines, play through the midfield. The next game, they lost 5-0 at home to Liverpool then against City. Um, same thing, United players meet with the press before Van Hal gets back, don't like his training methods, he's boring, he's too tense, he's not, he's not nice, he's not likeable, he's all this, he's that. Then they go to Mourinho, right? Same thing. Mourinho's digging out the players, talking about their lack of physicality, talking about the fact that they refused to play through the paint barrier. He made sure Rashford was playing really, really deep, if you remember. He was basically a left midfielder rather than a left winger because he didn't trust him yeah. to get back, right? Um, and Rashford hated it, right? Then he was too mean, so they kicked him out. Solskjaer at the end of that was too nice. And Ranjik, you know, was... Same thing, running. We're the only team in the league that concedes these goals. There's no physicality, there's no one. I mean, this is if I'm a professional, these are the things that would embarrass me. Your integrity is being questioned. You're, in, I mean, to me, that's really simple. 
Every one of those football players at Manchester United need to ask themselves a question. Do I want to play at Manchester United? Because what I would have said to them players after the weekend, I would have said, one of two things happens. You bring your agent in Monday morning and you leave. Because if you don't want to play here, you, because what isn't an option is going out and doing that. Or if you do it again, I'll call your agent in and you leave. Because United don't give a manager that leverage. But any football club that's serious about winning, that has standards that are uncompromisable because they are the only goal that's acceptable to them is winning, would do that. If you did that at Real Madrid twice, you'd be out. You did that at City twice, you'd be out. But United, it's repeat, 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 because the culture inside the football club, even since Ferguson and Gill was there, is about self-interest, self-preservation over the interests of the football club, and that infests the whole place from the top to the bottom. And I, I don't know if Ten Hag's the right guy. I don't know. There's certainly legitimate criticisms, but every single thing that I'm seeing at United, I have seen over and over and over again. And those players, before you can point the finger at a manager, before you can point the finger at anyone else, point it at yourself first. Yeah. I mean, uh, that, that part is, uh, to me, 100% of it, is that, um, like you said in the beginning of that, um, the players, in a lot of ways, let Eric Ten Hag off the book. Mm -hmm. If they're off the hook, I should say, if they're not trying their hardest, if they're not working the hardest in the, in the match and on the pitch. Now, there's something to be said, and and this is where that's it's you know there's no absolutes on these things. There's something to be said for, um, in order to do your best, even from an effort perspective, one has to know what they're doing. Uh, it's very hard to put a hundred percent into something when you're confused about. You know, people can be very tentative when you start out, you know, driving or learning to drive or do something I mean, like that. The best of footballers on three oh, no, 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 no. I agree with you. I, I agree with you. Bad, but, you know, when Cubby no, 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 no. going up and embarrassing yeah. you guys, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a for them. Of course, of course. They they can put the effort in. That part is always has to be there. Um, They may not be good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they may not I, always I, be I, good. I totally accept that. Yeah, that that part is is like you know is where you know the you have to look at each of their jobs. Um, the player's job when they step onto the pitch, I think to me, at the bare minimum is is put yourself about. Just do that, hundred percent. Run around, do something. I've always been a fan of of players who do that at United who run course, and put themselves. Yeah, and you know, put it respected for for his effort. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's why I've again understanding his qualities. I was very disappointed to see Fred leave the club. I've said that before, because I knew if he was playing, he'd always give a hundred percent, no matter what happens. He's going to play. He's going to give it. Um, he leaves. Okay, and you're left with a lot of players who don't do that. In my perspective, you look at the moment at Harry Maguire. Um, He's putting in. I can never say that he's not putting a shift in every time he's played recently. One of the few players to do so. Luke Shaw came in once again. I think he put in a good shift. I think those were two best players. Um, yeah. Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw. I think they're the only two players who actually did a job during that game, frankly, and, and uh, could walk away. Well, maybe not the only two, but I think there are two of a very few select players who could walk away from that game saying they did their jobs. Um so, you know, you have that that idea of it is that the manager's job is to select the best team, put the plan out there that's going to work. I think that's failing and isn't working. The players' jobs are to uh, 
put the 100% effort in and carry out that plan. They're not doing that either. Mm -hmm. So now you have a problem here. If the manager isn't doing their job, just from a perspective of this argument, and the players aren't doing their job, who's making sure both of them do their job? Nobody. Nobody is. 100%. Nobody's doing that at Manchester United, and nobody's been doing it for the last 10 years. There is nobody who is making sure that happens. I was I was I was speaking about this with some people in, in terms of my perspective on this. And it's sort of like I think that Eric Tanag has done a, a pretty poor job on certain things, but uh at the same time, um you know, I almost I guess here's 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 the point that I would that I would put to it. In in modern football, in some ways. The manager, like the players, should be to a bit of a degree disposable. Um, the players should do what they're going to do regardless of the manager. You change the manager, it doesn't change the long-term plans of the club. There is no long-term plan at Manchester United. There never has been. There hasn't been for a long, long time. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson had a long-term plan. He had a plan. And when he left and that plan left, it was never replaced. There's never been a new plan put in place. There's never been a top-down direction put in place. Um, if you had a real, and I don't mean this unfortunately to be insulting, but if you had a real director of football at Manchester United, they would be involved in all of this. Of course, 100%. They would be saying, this is the plan. I don't care if you don't like Tenog. I don't mm. care who the managers. 100%. I don't care if we have a new manager next month. Agree. You do the same thing every single day. And and that is the problem at Manchester United. And oh, so maybe it's right to change Eric Ten Hag, but it's kind of funny. Ineos come in um, and if they decide, I want to change managers at the end of the year. We want to change managers. We think there's another person that we should put yeah. in place here. Let's say they decide that. In a funny way, I'd rather they keep – even if this isn't made public, even if they haven't shared this with anybody, I'd rather they keep Eric Tenog to the end of the season if they don't have someone they're replacing him with right now. At minimum, keep of him course. to the end of the season. Because I would like them to ingrain a culture in there. Let's say they bring someone like Paul Mitchell in there. Mm-hmm. I want them to start ingraining a culture in there now that you play towards something no matter who the manager is. No matter what the manager says you are working towards something for the purpose of this club. And if you're not going to do that, then you cannot be a part of Manchester United moving forward. There's a culture there that I think you could almost see as being a, um, a necessary pain to go through. I mean, you could put whoever you want at manager. We should expect the same thing out of the players, not necessarily in terms of the overall performance, but in terms of the effort, what they're going for, what they're trying to do. And, um, so it, it's it's kind of in some ways irrelevant how much at fault Ten Hag is there until this is resolved. We have to face a couple of facts. You run a business. I run a business. Yep. And <clears throat> I've said this before. Employees in safe businesses work towards the goals they're incentivized to achieve. Yep. And those yep. goals are defined by the priorities of the owner. Right. This yep. is what I want from my company. This is how I define success. There's not a single Manchester United manager in the last 10 years who would have got sacked by finishing the top four. If, if they, fin- if they Every single one of them was sacked for not finishing the top four, right? Or when yeah. it looked like they weren't going to finish top four, that's when their job went. That's when Moyes went, yeah. okay? Yeah. All of that. 
This is what the club's goal is. There's no one's job inside that football club depends on them winning trophies. That tells you mm. everything about what they are. Now, here's the thing. If you're a football club and you no longer buy at the top of the market, okay, and you're buying players that you want to develop, okay, you have to accept a couple of things. One, it's not realistic to expect to win championships when you're a football club buying potential, okay? Two, if you want that from your club, you have to have the best coaches, the best setup, the best setup for development, the best everything. The problem with a massive club like Manchester United is their history is an albatross around their neck. So their fans and everyone else want them to win right now. But the problem is they don't have the players to do that. If you look at the players that played against Newcastle, not one of them have won a Premier League. Not one of them have won a European Cup. Not one of them have come close to winning anything on the international stage, and none of them are close to a Ballon d'Or, right? This summer, uh, Eric Ten Hag signed Onana, all his. Mason Mount, the guy that played nine Premier League games last season that is now constantly injured again. A striker that couldn't play 90 minutes for two months, who scored nine Serie A goals, whose backup hasn't been able to complete 90 minutes in three years. A left-back that Tottenham weren't even going to register. A free transfer at centre-half. And Sofian Amrabad, a lone midfielder at the lowest price possible in the market on the last day of the window because the only other club that was interested in him was Galatasaray. You know, the last game of the Champions League is against Bayern Munich, a team that won the league last year and almost defended that they only won it by goal. St. Harry Kane, right? And St. Kim and Jai. United in those positions, like I said, St. Johnny Evans on a free and saying that there's nothing but potential, who still has yet to score a Premier League goal. So the question is, looking at how United buy, it's not a football club trying to win a league. We want to win the league because that's our expectation as much as United fans, but nothing inside that football club is geared towards that. No functioning football department is geared towards that. It is an aptitude it, and and. None of these departments are set up in such a way as to make sure that the club achieved that objective. It's not even a good football club to develop young players in because at clubs like Brighton, where young players develop, they're allowed to be inconsistent. They're allowed to make mistakes with the massive scrutiny being put on them. But at United, you don't get that. So they're at this massive football club that are lost their identity because they can no longer afford or no longer want to buy the top players to win the titles. And these kids... You know, they're not showing all that magnificent talents. Mainly, as soon as they have a bad game, they're slaughtered, they're this, they're that. The negativity is unbelievable, and they don't have the quality around them to help them. You know, and so this is this is a football club that is has a serious crisis on the inside because the owners don't care what you and I care about. They care about making sure that football club is profitable or making sure it's in a position where they can sell it. Yeah. Even if you look at the managers' teams, right? Just quickly. Yeah. Was David Moyes your top manager? No. Wow. Well, when when was the last time Louis Van Hal had won anything at club level? Yeah. Right. Mourinho was definitely on the way down. Yeah. Yeah. Solskjaer clearly not a top manager, right? Yeah. Ranić hadn't managed the club in ten years, or at least that. And Ten Hag's a a, a maybe. Right, he had a couple of good yeah. years at Ajax, but so did Frank De Boer. You don't know. And so United, if you look at what they've been doing, 
you know, nothing remotely related to trying to win trophies and going all out to do it. It's always been patchwork here, patchwork there, patchwork here, patchwork there. And that's exactly what's been going on over the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even on the manager front, Jose Mourinho, the right time to hire him was right after Sir Alex retired. Yeah. Um, there was a there was some talk of it back then, and he was right at the top of his career, and they didn't. They went with a different a different way, and then they got him too late. And they've done that with plenty of players too. You buy Casemiro three years too late. You buy Varane three years too late. You do all of this late. It's always late. It's always a poor timing, and it is that top down strategy. Um, that's just wrong, and, and it pervades everything. Um, you know, I I think that um, you know that Eric Ten Hag has his has many many issues going on right now. But if he's to lose his job, it should be um, for understandable reasons and nothing to do with players don't like him, players this and that. At the same time, to be to 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 look at some objective truths here as well, or or lack of objective truths here. There's not necessarily 100% truth in many of the stories that get written about the dressing room and things like that as well in terms of what comes out there. Um, you know, there was a lot of stories under Ralph Rangnick and the majority of them were coming from one person that made it sound like it was everybody. And that happens too, sure. um, you know. But the issue with player power is a, is a challenging one that I just want to discuss as well on a, from a more of a theoretical standpoint. Uh, I was hugely, hugely disappointed with the way that the Jose Mourinho and Pogba situation played out. It's interesting. You have Nemanja Matic. It's come today. He gave an interview in, in Serbia on a podcast and talked about how uh, there was players who were late all the time and named specifically Jadon Sancho, which we know about, and, uh, and Pogba. Um, it was well known by players, coaches, and staff that Pogba was one of the laziest players in the United dressing room. And the standards for what he brought were extremely low. Uh, Jose had a couple public kind of bust-ups with him. He's a player who asked to leave. And essentially, Jose Mourinho was sacked for Paul Pogba at the end of the day. Um, the In essence, when you have a player who publicly challenges a manager in the way that he did uh, and publicly goes against him in the way that he did, similar to what Ronaldo did with Eric Ten Hag um, in, in some ways, by not getting rid of said player, you're you've completely killed that manager off in the dressing room because there is still a degree of authority that they need to have happen. And I was hugely disappointed in that. And I think that getting rid of Ronaldo strengthened Eric Ten Hag's authority in the dressing room in a positive way last year. I think it was the right decision the way that that was all went uh, that that all went about. Even though, again, it should have been done during the summer. It should have been done during the summer and he should have been replaced. And instead it was dragged out till it was too late to where the only option they could do was bring in Weghorst during January as a replacement. So they still go about it the wrong way. Um, but it is a, it is a balance. And, and again, it comes down to haphazard decision-making because you don't have a leader in the uh, above the manager. So when I say the manager isn't doing their job, the players aren't doing their job. Where's who's in charge of all of that. And, and that is where the leadership is severely lacking because otherwise the decision becomes financial. And Pogba was kept because of his financial, of course, you know, because of the financials of it. Ronaldo was kept during last summer because of the financials of, of course. it. Um, and, and so, if, you know, if you go coach and, and players and all of that and there's nobody here 
as a CEO who's a football person or a director who's really running the show and given the authority to do so, then it just goes all the way up to the board and they're going to make financial decisions, which is what the Glazers do. They make financial decisions. Why do they um, make financial decisions? Because that's how they're incentivized. That's how they're yeah, That is what they're... Exactly. That's, that's what they care about. Right. Yeah. But I don't blame them. They're, in, they're no. working for the Glazers. See, they're executing tactics. Correct. Of their owners because of the consequences for not Correct. doing so. If you were in Manchester United's commercial department, yep, and you were showing up half the days a year, Colvin be arsed, not doing much at all. You know, for, for how long would you last for? You'd be gone immediately. Yep. They yep. would not tolerate yep. that at all. That's yep. because of obvious reasons, because that's their priority. Right. Yep. It's a whole the, the cost analysis to say no matter get rid of players is based on what's your commercial value, right? I mean, they gave Rooney a new contract 2012 and it was because of his commercial value. Right? He was the only player at that time that all the sponsors asked for. He was the only star, right? So when he when he went when he held when he, when he went uh it was, it was 2010, it was when he said um you know have no ambition, questioned their ambition, and you know, they they caved and gave him the contract. Um yeah. And it was for this reason, it was commercial reason, right? So Rooney's commercial value was much more than his football value at that point. So this is the problem. This is what – everything's derivative of that. So there's no control parameters at the club that says this is on bend and discipline because everything is taken on how much is this going to cost. This is going to cost too much. We'll undermine our manager before we'll cost we'll pay five million, you know. And this yep. is all but see, this is this doesn't happen at top clubs. It's the, the top clubs that they said everything is about winning that league at the end of the year. And if we don't do that, right, we're gonna make sure that you don't have any excuses. So in an environment like that, it weeds out bluffers really quickly, right? So if you are if you yep. can't survive in an environment like that, you don't last in an environment like that. But it also attracts people that want to be in that environment. I question these players when I hear things like Ronaldo doing interviews and questioning their standards. When I see Paul Scholes and other players, Roy Keane, Gary Neville, just ripping them on TV about their attitude, about, you know, their performance and, you know, sky showing certain players, you know, refusing to run. The the the, the stats that this weekend show that United covered the least amount of ground in the Newcastle game in comparison to any other game this season. Where's their shame internally? Like, what, at what point do they turn around and go, this is embarrassing. I don't want to get, yep. uh, you know, ruined on TV by fellow pros and have a my integrity question. Because, I mean, if, if, if I don't think that, that, that I'm part of that criticism, I want to leave. All right, mm-hmm. you, I, I don't think that's aimed at me. I'm not taking the blame for these people. Because the one thing I'll say about Ronaldo is, he, he, I'm out, you know. And that's what top players do. They don't stay because they... They don't. They they can't tolerate that environment. They can't concede. They can't lose. They can't surrender. It's offensive to them. And players that are bluffers, that sometimes good, sometimes bad. You know, sometimes they feel up for it if the vibes right. Those players, there's there are a dime a dozen. Every football mm-hmm. club has five or six of them. But the winners, the real winners, they are at the top clubs that consistently yeah. win. And none of those players at Manchester United have any right to get a manager sacked when they don't win anything ever. How many of them would leave right now to a better club in a better situation? Yeah. Yeah, that's the majority of them. Why do you think they don't leave? Yeah. Because there's no one else wants them. Yeah. Oh, I mean, 
Jaden Sancho, there should be clubs falling over themselves for Jaden Sancho. I mean, United should have a bidding war in January. Why won't they? Because so few people want them. You know, how many? I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like, maybe three, four players on that team, if they really wanted to leave, would have top clubs still interested in them. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, there's not many. There's not many. I mean, United called and said McTominay and Maguire this summer for more than 30, 40 million. I mean, what, these are these are players that are starting every week for United. Why? Yep. Why can't they sell them? Why aren't the big clubs saying, do you know what? The manager's to blame. These players are not to blame. We want, because, you know, all these other clubs, they have top agents, you know, they share players, they share international changing rooms. I mean, half the players who started against Newcastle can't even get the international team. They will know everything that's going on at football clubs. They yep. won't know why players are doing this. I mean, these are players. Somehow they're international managers. Don't think it's the it's the manager's fault. Why are they not having clubs knocking their door down for them? I, yep. to, to me, I, I, I think that you for these United players, um, I'm sick and tired of giving them an out because they will go to Anfield and find it really easy to convince themselves to surrender because they've already got, already got an, an excuse. They've already blamed it on someone else. Anthony Martial should not be on a professional football pitch, James. Yeah. I, I mean, no disrespect to that guy. Uh, he's not the most enthusiastic lad in the world anyway, but I rarely see the lad break a sweat, break yeah. a jog. And, I'm, and But to me, this is more of an indictment on Manchester United than Anthony Martial or Eric mm-hmm. Why is he there? I yep. mean, how many other Premier League clubs would Anthony Martial get into? He's there because nobody else wants him. And this is the problem, right? And yep. Sevilla took him on loan, sent him back, said, nope. Nobody, I mean, United will cover his wages, we'll, we'll pay. Nope. No one wants him. No one's even want to take a risk on him. Because yeah. he shouldn't be on a professional football pitch. And when you can't press from the first line and they get out that easy, you're under pressure everywhere else. Especially whenever you've got Garnacho and Rashford not wanting to track back. But yep. I just think this spreads right throughout the team. Anthony Martial should not be starting for any Premier League team. Never mind one that takes serious finish in the top five, four. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that is that is the case. And it, like I said, it is all about the the standards across the board um, and, the, and the overall plan that, uh, you know, we're seeing symptomatic of it. it it's all symptomatic. I mean, it, it's all symptomatic of the core problems that uh, – that exists. And, you know, and hopefully <laughs> we've said this before, but I think unfortunately changing the managers as we've done in the past, even appointing directors in the way that we've done in the past, making transfers that we've done in the past, it's all cosmetic. It's cosmetic changes. It's new paint because underneath it, it's still a crumbling, you know, edifice, the, the infrastructure, the structure, the setup, everything is wrong. And so I can only hope that, and I understand that this has caused instability among staff, coaches, players, things like that in terms of not knowing their future. But the only thing I can say is it's too bad um, that this is kind of the death throes of something that is going to change at its core now. Um, because obviously the, the the major thing coming here and, and that we do have news on because obviously we could we could go we could go on probably forever on the players on the on the issues on the on the well, lack of success. Yeah. Yeah. 
So let's say you sat Ten Hag today. Mm-hmm. If you replace him with him, why would he succeed where Ten Hag failed? It won't. It won't. So that's what that's my point. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, you're, yeah. you're you're still asking the guy to get in a Mini Cooper and compete yeah. with Ferraris and say, okay, we're going to change your driver, get you in, we change new tires, we spray paint at the car, go. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it, to me, it's like this is this is silly at this point. Yeah, I, I personally can very much understand if in the long term you want a different manager. Fine. I don't think sacking Eric Ten Hag today does anything for the team. I don't think it improves the club. I don't think it's going to make the season better. I don't think interim managers work either for what it's worth. I think they're usually a disaster. Um, The best possible example was when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came in. And by the end of the season, it still collapsed. And he missed out on top four. Uh, Didn't win anything that year. Um, I don't think there's any point in that. I think you bring in an interim, you end up finishing where you had. I think even when the season that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got sacked, uh, you ended the season under Ralph Rangnick probably right where you would have ended if you'd kept him the whole year and seen how it played out if you kept Ole the, the whole season. I don't think there's a point in that. I don't think it improves things. I think that correctly you start top down. And you you work your way through there, and then you make the decisions based on that. It's the same as making one transfer in this in January is not fixing this club. It's not going to fix the performances. It's not. Um, it is cosmetic, but you know there is a there is a significant obviously change that that needs to come, and and that is um, obviously who's running the football side of this, all of this, because as we said, and as we were just talking about, you know, the remit of the football club is commercial success and financial success. It is not football success. And until that purpose changes and success is defined by trophies, by winning, then everything else below it doesn't matter in order to do anything you have to start with the initial plan in mind, the initial goal in mind. You start a business and the goal is to make money. Well, you're going to make decisions everywhere down the way to make money. If you start a business and your goal is to change the landscape of some culture or some aspect of business or something that's going on out in the world, then every decision you make is going to lead towards that. And yeah. If you start a business and you want to make money by having the best product in the market, yes. because you take pride in the product yes. and the finished goods, then yes. you have a much more sustainable business model because you'll invest more in research and yes. development. You'll invest more in people. You'll invest in all the other things. If your goal is just to get a product on the market that you could profit off, then yep. you won't do those things because you're not really concerned about how good the product is. You're just concerned that it can be sold. Right, you have no pride exactly. in finished good. You really don't care if it's someone thinks it's great or someone thinks it's mid. Doesn't matter. Just as long yep. as they pay for it, that yep. will always be reflected on what you see as the final product. What goes Correct. on the market will be reflected, but what went into it. So yep. when you're asking someone to run a company that is is just trying to get a product product on the market and be sold and compare the final quality of his product with someone who's running a company who is every resource is poured in to get the best product on the market. We really shouldn't expect that those people to compete because they're maybe in the same industry, but they're not in the same market. Yeah. And and of course, unfortunately, this is the problem with football uh, is what Ed Woodward said about there's no real connection between the success on the pitch and their financials. It means nothing. 
is disconnected and United as a brand are going to make enough money kind of no matter what they put on the pitch. And so that has to change. And, and so obviously, um, you know, this is the main story. And I think we have a few things to talk about on this now. Um, obviously, alongside, there was a story from Kleiman this morning that the Jim Ratcliffe bid for the 25% of the club is set to go through and be announced next week. Um, I think on last week's podcast, they said that uh, Sir Jim was on holiday uh, through about the ninth of the mm. month. And so I could see it going a couple more weeks till beyond that, because it's not at the stage in which um, you have these major negotiations going on and the deal is in any sort of real um, danger or anything like that. It's simply a matter of the complex legalities that go into finalizing the whole thing and, and putting it all together. And I think that, you know, we got information kind of backing this up um, on our side as well for some time now, but, uh, but through this morning too, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, I do believe that the deal will go through uh, or be announced next week. Um, I, you know, when you look at it, uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, if I understand what has been said, I believe it's already been approved by the Glazers, the offer itself. Yeah, um, yeah because that's not the last thing. You know, the offer previously went to a vote multiple times. Um, and that's way before all the legalities and things are being done. So if it's set to being announced next week or it's about to be announced and they're working on the final details, as, as far as I understand it, if I'm not wrong, that would come quite after the approval from the board on the deal itself because you're not going to go through drafting the contracts and all the tiny minutiae that are going into this, making the tender offer to the class A shareholders, which is something that has to be done publicly. You're not doing any of that, which would come at the form at the time of the announcement, unless you already have the approval of the Glazers. And so as far as, as I've heard it, you've heard it as we understand it, I believe that the Glazers have already approved this offer from their yeah. perspective. And it's a matter of, you know, all of the details that go into that and, and getting it finalized and actually done now. Also told they were really angry with what happened at the weekend. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they want to get an influence um, that culture as quick as possible. Of course, Ten Hag's under scrutiny as he should be. And he, even if he's winning every game, there should always be a contingency plan of what if, mm-hmm. what something happens, what do we do next? You know, it shouldn't catch yeah. it by surprise. We know that manager shelf life is usually about three, four years they rotate. Um, regardless of what happens. So, you know, it's entirely appropriate that, you know, any of us ask those questions about Ten Hag and, and certainly, um, you know, you, no matter what the situation inside the football club, you just can't keep losing games of football to yep. teams without, with, 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 without any, you know, any, um, you know, consolation or any reason to be optimistic. Uh, you have to see progress at some point. Um, and I was told that there was a 1.7 billion uh, fund set aside for investment over the next couple of years inside the club, um, and that um, you know the pathway to ownership was something that they would tell me was was um, something that would be announced with that. So, um, so I I don't have definitive language on that, but what they said to me was that um, that was something that they expected would be announced with the deal, and that uh, they were confident that would be done. So um, obviously. When you're dealing with something on this size, you're dealing with lawyers, a lot of back and forth. Their job is to get as much billable hours as possible, so they're in no rush to, to, to get anything completed. But, um, so you mean lawyers don't work quickly on purpose? <laughs> but, um, 
Oh yeah, so so it is suppose, but um uh you're quite right. I mean, look, if there was anything you know where this this wasn't gonna be happening or was any any unforeseen or, or any um impediments we'd know about it by now and certainly yeah. don't go to you know the this uh, degree whenever there's no broad agreement on everything but it, um, it seems like we talk about it forever and I'm sure like everyone else they're fed up hearing about it but um just lastly I want to touch on this thing James that uh Kami Sokohol put out said that um Tanaga lost 50 percent of the dressing room um Garmin GPS could lose 50 percent of that dressing room um this is uh irrelevant to me um yeah never had it it because these players um, you know, doesn't take much to lose them because there's there really isn't much in the way of worth keeping anyway. I hope he never finds them. Um, but um, it's uh irrelevant to me, and I really well, this is just to me, it's one point though. It's genuinely staggering to me that players are so far removed from the uh, sentiment of fans that they think this would be a good idea to leak this information. Um, through one or two representatives um, uh, and think that this is going to fall upon sympathetic ears or people with the memory of a goldfish. I put a tweet out earlier that listed every single situation, players, players revolt against Van Hal, players revolt against Mourinho, players revolt against Solskjaer, players turn on, 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 on run. I mean, it's the same shit. At some point, you know, you have to realize that your credibility is on, in question. Eight of the players have played against Newcastle, played for Ranić. Yeah, I, I agree, and and I think that um, as we were saying, you know, the the only way you can endear yourself as a player is to put a hundred percent in. If you're not doing that, if you give up, you're going to get the blame, and rightly so. Um, if you're putting it in, you know, I'll say this, like, it's, you know, against, against Galatasaray, I don't think I had many complaints about the effort levels of the players. They still drew. And so most of the criticism was leveled, I think, at Eric Ten Hag and Andre Onana, of course, for the individual mistakes on that. I think the vast majority of the criticism was leveled at them because you don't have other players who are necessarily putting themselves in the spotlight. And it is very foolish to put yourself in the spotlight with stories, with leaks, and without putting the effort in on the pitch. Um, yep. Because, you you, you know, it, it, I don't think it's endearing to other teams if you're going to leave or if anything's going to happen. I don't think it's going to rush to get the manager out in the perspective. At the same time, <laughs> I also want to say that, you know, some of it is some of it is journalism a good chunk of it too, in terms of the way that these things are timed, you take this stuff about the players running and the training and things like that. You know, I've been talking about that from the sources that I have that are also not players for about three months now. This isn't new. And I think some of it is timed in how it's released in order to put the maximum amount of drama into the situation, the maximum amount of talks and clicks and time spent discussing all of these types of things too, because it's, you know, that's just how business is done. You know, that is a, a you know, that is a separate, a separate thing. It's something that there's been concerns about for some time, but that is, it's not like today, you know, 
Harry Maguire's walking in and saying, Eric, we run too much in training. That's not what happened. Do you That's remember, not how this is going. <laughs> remember the first thing Solskjaer said when he took over him about he goes, um he criticized United players. We were robust. Yeah, he said they wanted to be the most they robust. They the team. team in the league. Yeah. And he said they yeah. weren't fit. Now yeah. mind, Mourinho yeah. got sacked in December. Yeah. Right. And he said that you know these players unbelievably are not fit. Ranyuk mm-hmm. don't see it. Yeah. Criticize yeah. their fitness, criticize their physicality, criticize yeah. their intensity, and the fact that um they were always injured. And you can go back and back and back. Um, Mourinho, you know, I remember his first season was picking and choosing the last few games of the season about what squad he would play because he said that the players weren't fit enough to play. And you know, know, these are consistent criticisms that follow these players throughout their careers about not being fit, which to me, again, is a basic responsibility of a professional athlete. Mm -hmm. You're not going to tell, you're not going to coach these players how to play football. Okay, you're not going to um, teach these players how to play football. By the time you get to this level, okay, you're not working on ball skills. You're not dribbling through. You're perfecting certain routines. You're perfecting certain skills. You're, you know, and most of the stuff that people work on, they work on individually. You know, free kicks, they do stuff, but they're not doing what you're doing with ten-year-olds. Teach them how to control the ball. Teach yeah. them all that stuff's done, right? At yeah. this point, it's about perfection. It's about perfecting certain routines. It's about per- per- perfecting certain things. So, but in terms of the, the objective stuff being, being fit, I mean, to me, that's a basic responsibility of a yeah. professional footballer. And first thing Ten Hag does when he comes in, just like Solskjaer, just like Mourinho, uh, just like Ranić, after Brantford, you're not fit. Yeah. Right? This is unacceptable. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I mean, these players, are, they did it anyway. I'm just saying, mate, for me, but again, this is reflective of the culture United where they yeah. have no talents, and you're absolutely right. There should be a director of football in there above Ten Hag going, he, he, whether he goes or not is irrelevant to your future. Yep. Okay, Correct. Future, and what happens next to you has nothing to do with him. So yep. if you think that it's you, this place isn't big enough for both of you, if he goes, you go with him. Yeah, and, and, and that leads to, um, there was one story from last week that I do want to uh, address because I think it has some credibility. And it came from a semi Mockbell uh, Daily Mail journalist in, in London, um, who, I, who I think is, a, is quite credible in his reports. I think he's a, he's a, he's a good journalist. He ten, doesn't tend to do a lot of clickbait, mm-hmm. things like that. He's very well-sourced in his areas. And he was talking about the, uh, the recruitment strategy under Ineos. Because one of the, you know, at the end of the day, in some respect, I think that football is about 80% getting your recruitment right. The best players win. 100%. That's it. I mean, that's that's just a fact of sports, right? The best players win. You get the best players, you win. And obviously you want to – there's factors into that. How do they fit together and all of that, that? That's the smartness of recruitment. But I think 80% of football is recruitment. Pep Guardiola doesn't win the treble without the best team in England and the best team in Europe. It doesn't happen. I don't care how good a coach he is. It doesn't happen. You got to have the best team. Well, you think you got to figure out how to put them together. Pep's team. How many of them are the best players? I mean, Rodri. I mean, was he? How many players? How many, how many clubs were after Rodri before he came to City? Wasn't yeah. one of the best players in the world. Bernardo Silva. He cost thirty-seven million for Monaco. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nathan Ake, uh, yeah. Akanji. You know, yeah. these are players that are scouted forensic properly where they know this is exactly what we want. Kovacic, you know, even De Bruyne, you know, these are players Mm -hmm. 
we have Mares. You know, yep. these are not Ballon d'Or level footballers, but Guardiola knows exactly what he wants, how yep. he wants it, and it's a result of a coherent football strategy on the nose head of a player. Correct, correct. And, and and that is, I mean, that is the fact of it. The biggest, I think the biggest error that United have made and that has cost most of the managers has simply come down to poor recruitment at the end of the day, not being able to put a cohesive team together that is able to carry out whatever the plan may be. And um, and there was a lot of reports that that was one of the major factors Ineos were looking at, of course, in terms, there's been a lot of talk of this. We know this to be true because one mm-hmm. of the, key things that they want to change is obviously why they want to have sporting control. Well, what does that actually mean? I mean, at the end of the day, sporting control is really about recruitment mm-hmm. um, more than anything. It's because what you're talking about with control is how do you bring in the right people? And yeah, some of that is uh, administrative, bringing in the right people above the manager and all that, but why? So you can recruit the right players so you can get the right people in place and all of that more than anything else. And um Anyway, what this report said was that potentially two things that it said is two that they might bring in potentially two recruitment people. And I think there's there's a good chance of something like that. Uh, A lot of clubs have, you know, uh, multiple people from a recruitment perspective, Um, uh, you know, and so you look at names like Paul Mitchell, which still continues to be one of the main names. Um, There's been a lot of talk of Dougie Friedman. You could see both coming in there and and having a part in this. And the other thing that it said was to to buy the best players in England. And it said British, but when you read into the the article itself, it talks about buying players who are experienced in the Premier League. And there is a logic to that when you're trying to stabilize and bring together um, a good team, especially when you're playing in England, you know, to bring in the best players in England. Um, Consistently, you know, United have failed in bringing players in from other leagues that have not transitioned well to the Premier League uh, and have struggled with it. It is, you know, there is something to be said for Premier League experience. Uh, Liverpool did an amazing job bringing in players who uh, had experience in England to form a lot of the core of their team. You think about Van Dijk, you think about Mane, you think about Robertson, you think about these players that they've brought in. These are players who are in England who made up the core of that of that team. Um, City have obviously made some. They brought players in from all over the place, which is which is fantastic. But they've they've brought in they brought in a lot of good players um, to bring up the core of the team who had that experience as well. United have spent a lot of money on players from other leagues that have failed. Jadon Sancho, Pogba. Uh, I looked at their top ten transfers. Seven of them were from uh, outside the Premier League, and I think the only one you'd consider a success is Bruno Fernandes. Um, and uh, and it's not to say that you should only buy British or you should only buy English players or anything like that, because then you're you're losing yourself a large majority of. Yeah, because uh, I mean, if you look at two of United's most criticized players, it's Maguire and Rashford. Um, sure. I think I, I get what you're saying, right? One of the things I don't like about this is it goes back to this whole we need people that's going to get the club or United DNA. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Busby had never worked at United before. Yeah. They United DNA. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Me, I think of winners or winner, right? To me, yep. I think there's nothing that's descriptive about an English guy that defines him as someone that's better for United. I understand Premier League experience is yeah. very important because it yeah. is a difficult league to adapt to. But, um, you know, I do think that uh, 
you by the, I mean, Jude Bellingham didn't have La Liga experience, right? Mm-hmm. I think, still think if you, one of the reasons why United fail is because they don't buy the best players in the world. So Correct. there's always a major Correct. risk attached to these players, maybe, right? And so I think that uh, if you look at some of the best players in the Premier League, you know, they have, a lot of them have come from abroad. Um, mm-hmm. Right. De Bruyne and Salah both had Premier League experience by the time they came back, right? So, yep. um, but um, even even Cantona and all that, I I totally take your point, and there's legitimacy to a lot of that. But I think also you look at people like Drogba and players like that. I think um, if you buy the right players, you mm-hmm. scale properly. Um, then, but the problem is, is that because United don't do any of that, yeah, the the, the 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 probability of failure is high. And Correct. it's not a club that's designed to nurture players because of the way they treat them. Well, and I think that that's kind of the point is that is that um, you want the right balance of these things. Yeah. Um, one of the things where, you know, one of the crit- criticisms of, say, bringing in someone like Paul Mitchell is that he's not necessarily been a director of football at a top club yeah, like who okay. City has, mm-hmm. you know. But when you take someone like him, you say, well, what did he do well? Well, he was the guy who was able to find these talents from other leagues, from other countries, from places like that before they were the big name. And I'm not saying just super young players that wouldn't develop at United and bring them in. Dougie Freeman, the same. You look at the some of the players who are Crystal Palace. There's three players. I mean, there's multiple players at Palace that today United could sign that would be better um, than what they have right now. And you yeah. brought up this point. He's never worked for a club that's actually yeah. won their division. So yeah. he's brand players for developmental teams. Leipzig, mm-hmm. right? yep. Monaco, people like that. Turkey, bring a player in, develop cell. Bring a player in, develop mm-hmm. cell. Bring a, and if we happen to win trophies, fine, right? So I think it was uh, Ibrahimovic was saying there's a whole different, it's a whole different thing managing young players, developing yep. young players, and dealing with the top players in the world. Yep. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. And so this is where United have got to figure out what they are. I mean, they've always balanced that well. They've always been a club that's played youth, that's developed young yep. players and some supplemented that with some of the best okay. players in the world. But um, I, 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 I have concerns about, you know, Siki Bigurus came from Barcelona. They bought the top players in the world. They knew what they exactly what they wanted to do. And I just... I, I, to me, I'm not going to get excited about Paul Mitchell because he's a shiny new toy. It's, I still think mm-hmm. it'd be better than anything that you know have had before. Um, but I, um, there's another aspect of this where these people are unproven too. Yeah, correct. And and I think that at the end of the day, it comes down to uh, a consistent strategy can be sensible. It's pretty easy, I think, to identify the best players in England. Mm-hmm. The best yeah. Premier League players. You don't need a, a pop, a, you know, proper director to do that. And if the strategy is let's buy the best players in the Premier League, and let's utilize, you know, Paul Mitchell or whoever it may be to identify the best upcoming talents as well from around Europe, mm-hmm. and at least bring together a cohesive strategy yeah. on that. United yep. will be far better off because they have the resources to do something. And so you can kind of piece together what the strategy may be and whether it's the best strategy will remain to be seen, but it's a hell of a lot better than what's been being done. I completely and you, you can kind of see the picture that's coming to play there as well as with, you know, 
Jean-Claude Blanc, I think one of the obvious positives you have there is he is somebody who has a track record at the biggest clubs in Europe, Juventus, biggest club in Italy, PSG. You know, he has a record of these things. And so, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, the results will speak for themselves when they come into play and, and make yeah. these things happen. Um, but I think this is where United are at, is to say, let's put something into place here that's going to that's gonna work. Let's put something into place here that's cohesive, that's top-down, and uh, and see if we can't make this happen here. I mean, not, not every director of football has had to have, similar to coaches, has had to have top-level experience. You know, Julian Ward, Michael Edwards, they didn't have mm-hmm. – winning experience before they helped Klopp build what Liverpool mm-hmm. is today. Um, it's simply about having the most, having a, a solid plan and sticking to it. And they did a really good job, I think, specifically as a model, more than Manchester City. Oh, uh, Liverpool did an amazing job in that model where they did buy a lot of really good players in England, but from also around Europe without ever really chasing the stars. And oh, um, and they built something incredible with that. And I, I think that's more duplicatable. And then you look at what Arsenal are doing right now under under uh, under Edu uh, Edu with with uh, with them, and they haven't won anything yet. So time will tell um, before he he. But too much closer than they've ever been, to be fair. I mean, yeah, it's it's way then. better than it's been for a decade. I mean, we'd be happy to be performing Almost like they are at the moment. Probably, yeah. yeah, this is the best Arsenal since Wenger. You're right. Absolutely, and 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 it's the same strategy. They've bought a lot of the top Premier League players. They bought Declan Rice. They brought in Gabriel Jesus. They brought in Zinchenko. They brought in, you know, a lot of these players. And then they picked the right player, young players from out, out and around Europe. And they suffered for a couple of years in doing this and getting rid of these senior players, these older players on big contracts and all of that. Um, but it's starting to pay, you know, dividends for sure. And I, I think that our, our that's one way to look at it. All those players showing up late yep. for team meetings, all that. Yep. No, yep. you know what? There's an uncompromising discipline. If you don't like me because I'm enforcing discipline, then go somewhere yep. where there's no discipline. Okay. Yep. There's clubs out there you'll let you do that, but we're not going to do that here. That's what turned it around for Arsenal. Yes. Arsenal were perpetually in the position netted we're in, you know, just trying to get yep. top four and missing out. Weak players constantly bullied, some talented players, you know, a couple of smatterings of young players from their academy. And just the same thing over and over again until they decided that, you know what, no, we're going to stop by our manager because that's what Arsenal players want, want to out fans, everything. Yep. It's, it's not just about standing by the manager, it's about standing by uncompromising principles at the football club that's going to lead us to our decisions. So yep. that we aren't, because you see, you know, if you have uncompromising principles, you aren't confused about what to do with Mason Greenwood, you aren't confused about why fans have a reaction to our Arnautovic or the Premier League, but when you're constantly trying to make money and forget about that, then you end up in these situations so when you need it, make those changes and adhere to those principles which hopefully any of us will bring then you will definitely see dividends and look, City are catchable I mean, mean, to me, if you have I mean, Guardiola said after United, if you have a proper the football club, the proper departments that make smart decisions. Of course, they could catch City. There's nothing City yep. done on the pitch that's beyond the financial reach of United. Yeah, it's, Liverpool and Arsenal have done it. Yeah, at this point in time, they have done it. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, we ended up Chelsea at the week in, in midweek uh, prediction. Hmm. I, it's at home, which helps. Chelsea obviously have struggles of their own, but you also know that. Um, Pochettino was going to want to do what he does. 
against United. So I expect he'll he'll play pretty aggressive. I, I think it'll be a pretty open game. I think it'll I think it'll be two two. I think it'll be a two two draw. We'll see. Okay, we'll leave it there, mate. Take it easy. Thanks, folks. Yep. Thanks for all of you for downloading the podcast as always. Um, yeah. But uh, who knows where we'll be next week on this emotional roller coaster? Uh, hopefully, with next week, uh, next week, no well, later next week, we'll have something on this. Jim mm-hmm. Ratcliffe thing because my God, do you need to need that before Liverpool? Um, we will see. I a big tough, <laughs> tough games uh, coming up, so we'll yep. see. Hopefully, it doesn't get any worse. All right, mate. Take it easy. Thanks, James. See ya. See you later.